Culture Kings. Culture Kings. Culture. How often do you wash your hands? Every single minute of the day. Mm-hmm. How often do you wash your hands before coronavirus? Every single three days. Okay. Like, if you went to the bathroom and you peed. I wash my hands after. Oh, every time? Every time. Every time. Every Good. time. Good. But there are things that I do that I don't wash my hands right afterwards. Like, like sometimes what? if my balls are itchy and I scratch them, I don't run to the bathroom to wash my hands. I don't either. Exactly. Who does? What man does? No one. Matt? He's going to lie. Don't do ask you? Me. He's going to lie. Do I wash my hands? After you scratch your balls, if your I, balls is itchy. I feel like a majority of my ball scratching is done in the privacy of my own home. That's what I'm saying. But do you go wash you your go hands? I'm not going to go wash my hands at home. Thank you. But <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I bet you Matt take a shit and don't even wash his hands at No, home. I do. I take. He I goes, wash my I'm hands. I'm home. Matt, Matt be taking a shit and eating a blimpy at the same time. No, no, no. You know what? <laughs> if I'm being honest, I'm washing my hands after any poop. Anytime. Any no matter poop? where I am. Do you have a wild, you got wild bowels? No, I'm just like, it was just too close to Back, it's like just too close back there. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta true. wash your hands. That's, that's too true. close back there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's but true. you be eating blimpies in the bathroom. Though. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what a blimpy. Oh, is that a sandwich? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what blimpy oh, sandwiches. The sandwich. No, that's like, why would you that's say a gas station sandwich? It's right? a New York sandwich. This is gonna be one of the first things I've ever pushed back on of you saying about me. Why would you say I was eating sandwich <laughs> while I'm going poop? <laughs> Have you ever eaten anything while you poop? No. Maybe eating firehouse subs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's gross. Nothing. Nobody's ever eaten while they poop. No, why would you do that? I've never eaten while I poop. I play my I Switch so. while I poop. I I do. I don't even do that. I do. I play shit. I play my phone. I while play I my poop. Switch while I poop. And I've thought about that. I'm like, this is disgusting. I've like looked at my phone probably, but that's yeah. <laughs> this is disgusting. But I'm trying to get my sobble to level up. Mm. <laughs> this mm. guy's playing Pokemon over here. Oh, I'm playing Pokemon Shield all day, my nigga. <laughs> we do a lot of nasty shit in the bathroom. Do you guys subscribe to don't bring food in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because your mouth, there's no difference. It, but what you're it's smelling is what you're tasting. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. So when you eat in a Dorito, you also eat in shit particles, bro. I'm not talking while you're eating on the toilet. I'm not talking eating on the toilet. I'm just saying like in some people will not literally bring like cups of water or anything in a ba- in a bathroom. Yes, I'll bring a cup of water in the bathroom. I'll, it, you know, I've brought a cup of coffee to the, like the bathroom, like like to have near my shower. Yeah. Like, cause sometimes I'll be in the shower and be like, I'm not ready. I gotta have some of this coffee. You don't do that. You don't. You don't. You don't bring anything in the bathroom. No. I'm not saying you do it while you use the bathroom, but like if you're in there and you just gotta well, grab one, something. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee either. You don't bring your whiskey in the bathroom. No, I don't bring my cup of whiskey. I tell someone who I'm sitting next to, "Hey, watch my drink." Mm. Oh, I'm not talking about it at the bar. I'm talking about it at the crib. No, I don't bring my glass of whiskey <laughs> that I'm drinking at the. I'm at the house. It can wait for me there. Nah, There's bro. even less. There was more of an incentive to bring it with me if I'm at the club. And like, let's say I'm at the bar by myself and I don't mm-hmm. trust nobody. Then there's more of an incentive. But I'm at my house. Who's going to attack my whiskey while I'm at the house? Not only that, it's like you know exactly where it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't want to put it down. Sometimes you don't want to put it down. Take you a gotta- quick shit. <laughs> I didn't say take a shit. I just said if you need to go in the bathroom and grab something, will you let the air to of the bathroom? Grab something. Will you let what the, am I grabbing? What if you need to grab like a, a floss stick or a piece of tissue? It can't wait. Nah, man. It can't wait. If it's already in my hand, I'm, I'm putting it down. What? <laughs> we got a great guest today. 
This man is an excellent writer. Y'all don't bring steak in the bathroom? He's an excellent writer. He just won an NAACP Image Award for his writing on the show The Good Place. And, you know, I have a good feeling. Might get an Emmy nomination for what he wrote on a little show called Watchmen, which I will assume, Jakees, mm. he wrote both of our favorite episodes of that show, along with Damon Lindelof. What about eggs? Y'all bring eggs in the bathroom? <sighs> Cord Jefferson, ladies and gentlemen. Cord Jefferson, writer on The Good Place and Watchmen. He wrote the Hooded Justice episode of that show. Y'all think Cord brings shit in the bathroom? <laughs> Why don't you ask me? How about off the top, right when this episode will, right when this episode gets to the juicy stuff, mm-hmm. the first thing, the next thing you guys will hear is Jaquise. Asking Cord, do you bring stuff in the bathroom? Okay. I want to know. Let's get started. <laughs> Cord, before we get started. Yes. I have to know. Do you bring Do you bring food in the bathroom? No. Thank you, bro. That's <laughs> so, huge, uh, thank you. That's it's a huge <laughs> no for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's fucking crazy. But not, yeah. but not, not just when you no. use it. <laughs> no. I'm saying like no. if you just need to go grab something and you got a plate of food in your hand. No. No. no? Never. No, it okay. has to stay. Like, that's a huge rule of mine. No cups in the bathroom. No yes. cups? No, nothing that I'm drinking from. No. Yeah, no. Okay. No. This All nigga right. was trying to say like... Okay. Oh, if you're if you're doing it real quick, you just. Bring it. I was like, you can leave you know, it. You're, you're at it? your house. Yeah. If I'm drinking some water and I gotta go get, you know, uh, go go squirt a little lotion in my hand because I'm ashy. No. Then I'm not gonna put the water cup down every morning. So I take uh, I take like heart medication that I have oh, to wow. take every morning, uh-huh. and so. Uh, uh, I, I won't even drink the the ba- the water from the faucet. I, I take my heart medication to the kitchen to get water from the kitchen. Okay. Wow! Even water from the from the spigot in the in the bathroom grosses. Spigot? Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I heard that since my grandma. Man. Are you from the south? No, no, no. My parents are from Ohio. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm from Arizona though. Yeah. Oh, okay. But my, sure, yeah, but my parents are from Ohio, and there and my dad's family's from Kentucky. So. Oh, okay. Well. Let the record show that Edgar and Cord do not bring things into the bathroom. Yes. I will bring a cup of water. You said a glass of whiskey. Uh, and a glass of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and young Prince Abadaka will bring a full, large piece of hut pizza. That's right. Into the bathroom. And a blimpy sandwich. And a blimpy sandwich. So let the record show that. Let the record show. Bring a whole sandwich into the bathroom. <laughs> no, God. I do not. <laughs> so uh, did you go to high school in Arizona as well? And- I did. I did. Okay, for sure. I was born in Arizona, and then my family moved overseas to Saudi Arabia and Greece when I was a kid. Whoa. A- uh, for about five or six years, and we moved back to Arizona when I was about six. Oh shit! My, I have cousins who lived in Saudi Arabia too. Yeah, man. Uh, Military? No, my dad was a lawyer for Hughes Aircraft Company. Okay, um, and they had a bunch of contracts in the Middle East. He actually okay. moved back there. He moved back there about sixteen or seventeen years ago, so okay. he still lives there. And um, one of my older brothers lives there now too with his family. Wow! Shit! Yeah. How is that for? How, how is that? I mean. It's last time I was there was in 2008. I donated my kidney to my dad in 2008, so I had to fly to Saudi Arabia for that. I was there for about three or four months to do that, and it's—I mm-hmm. mean, it's—it's not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a. a I mean, it's—I would not recommend going there to do tourism. Like, th- there are many. I mean, we all know that the government is doing very bad things. Uh, I would say that you should not let that reflect your. Uh, 
that should not shade your opinion of every Arab person. There's yeah, a lot of yes. people who live in Saudi Arabia who are like very good human beings. Yeah. Um, but it's not like it's not a great country. It's incredibly yeah. boring. There's not there's you know, no movie theaters. Wow. Um, there's no you know alcohol is illegal. There's uh, shit. Yeah, like you can't strict there's, laws against women too. There, yeah, there's incredibly strict laws against restrictive laws against women. There's like different hours of the day that you can go like shopping at the mall where like men can be there by themselves, and then women. There's a women's hour, a women and family hour. Restaurants are divided by gender, so you can't ever single men can never like sit in the same room as women. So men can be in the same room as women if they're there with like their families, but you can't like otherwise the it's like a men only section of like restaurants. It's Wow, it's just a, it's just a difficult place to get around. It's so bad. I my my cousin is from the south side of Chicago, and to think like to go from that to Saudi yeah. Arabia, <laughs> yeah, that sounds wild. Yeah. It sounds. I'm surprised she ain't capped. Motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> is, she in the, is she in the military? Uh, no, they they went over there for a job of his, not military. It was another like a contracting job. Yeah. And they were there for like eight years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My mom's wild. My mom said that she. She demanded that we had to move back to the states when we we were back in we were back in America. We, I think we were in Ohio for Christmas one year, and my mom wanted to to go do some Christmas shopping or whatever. And she, she my dad wasn't there, and she was like, "Let's go." And she tried to get me in the car, and I I re- refused to get in the car with her because I was like, "That you that you can't go. Like dad has to be here. You're mm-hmm. not allowed to go by yourself." Wow. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was Shit. like, she was like, "No, we're we're moving immediately. Like, yeah, I'm not raising a son who who tells me that I can't." Drive by myself. Yeah. Damn. That's wild. Wow. Starting to seep in. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you were in that culture. So, yeah, like, exactly. you, you just wanted to follow the rules. Yeah. I was like, you're not allowed to do this. Like, yeah. You have to wait for debt. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. So, yeah. <laughs> you donated your kidney to your father. Yeah. That makes me think of, and I don't want maybe not get into the Watchmen stuff too soon, but yeah. there's a little bit talk of like transplanting from like, you know, someone in your. In your family and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I think at one point, Angela feels like she's connected to yeah. her grandfather and all that stuff. Yeah. Did you bring it, bring up any of that in the room? Or yeah, like- yeah. I mean, I think the thing that, the thing that I really like, one of the sort of main themes of what, of the watch, of Watchmen, Damon used to scream at us when we called it the Watchmen. So, <laughs> one of the <laughs> don't main, you yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He got real pissed. Uh, one it the, was called the Watchmen, and then Justin Timberlake came in and was like, "I have an idea." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Drop the Drop, the, uh, the <laughs> uh, one of the main themes of Watchmen is uh, sort of inherited trauma, generational trauma. Mm, yeah, and so you know that is something that I certainly talked a lot about, and we talked a lot about in the room, and something that I, you know. I, something that I've been sort of negotiating in my life for a very long time. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of black people negotiate inherited trauma and, mm. and sort of uh, the things that are passed down from our ancestors and how we sort of try to um, heal those wounds of the past. And I, I, I certainly felt that. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a big deal in there. Wow. I I mean, shit, we're talking about Watchmen. Let's jump in. Uh, my One of my favorite shows of the past fucking two, three, four years. It yeah, feels like it was absolutely. so good. Absolutely. And I've... Never seen the movie. Uh, didn't read the, the graphic. Not, I heard the movie's not great. That's so, why I never yeah. saw it. Right, people yo, were like, it's just not chill good. Out, chill out, chill out. The movie's, <laughs> movie's pretty fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> we know who's signing your checks, Edgar. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so watching watching this season was such a delight because I went in it thinking, all right, am I going to like this? And then the first episode, boom, right there. Yeah. Uh, 
how does it feel as uh, you were a writer in the room? Yeah. For everybody who doesn't know, uh, how does it feel knowing that that show basically isn't coming back as not the creator but a writer of the show? Yeah, I think that uh, for me, you know, it's bittersweet because on the one hand, you know, I I loved the experience and I loved working with those people. I loved working mm-hmm. with Damon. I love the material. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know, that sucks a little bit, but. At the same time, I feel like, you know, as fans of television will know, there's there are a lot of shows that should end. That's oh, true. You yes. Know, <laughs> you know, should have ended their runs like three, four seasons ago. Right? Yeah. We all know those shows. I don't yeah. have to name what they are. But uh, so I think that coming in and accomplishing something and doing doing a good season of television and, and sort of letting that be and just saying like, this is what we wanted to say and we're going to let it exist. And we, we don't feel the need to like add on to it unnecessarily. Like, mm. I think that that's a decision that, that a lot of creatives should make from time to time. Um, and I, so, so I'm, I'm happy that we're doing it. And it was also, you know, that was an incredibly hard show to write. We started writing that in September, 2017. Oh, wow. it, took, it took us about two years to, to complete the writing process on that. So it was, and it was like, and it took a lot out of Damon. Like I was, I was talking to Damon, like a month ago, um, just about other stuff. And he um, he told me that he was doing 100-hour weeks on Watchmen, like when he, when he was really in the thick of it. Like he was just like, it was, it just took over his life. What, what is that? How do you get a 100-hour? Is that 15, 15 hours a day? Yeah, basically. It, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was really, it was really demanding. It took a lot out of him because he I really bet. wanted to make it great. I mean, I think that that's kind of a response to like, you know, the fans of Watchmen are so particular and are so attached to the source material, yeah. which is kind of one of the reasons why people say the movie sucks is because a lot of the fans of the book yeah. just didn't feel like the movie brought it. I would ar- almost argue that they're not as many as Star Wars fans, yeah. but they are just as loud and just Definitely. as angry sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the that was the scary thing about doing the show is that it was knowing how, how important and precious that book was to so many people mm. and that, like, you know— if you fuck it up, they're going to come after you hard. Yeah. I think that, and you know, I, I didn't feel that pressure so much because I had never read the novel until I started working on the show. Okay. Um, I, and I had an interview with Damon and he, and he was like, would you want to come work on this thing with me? And I was like, yeah, I just wanted to work with Damon because he had done the leftovers, which I, I mean, love. One of the best shows yeah, of the yeah, last decade. I totally agree. I think leftovers is incredible. And so I was like, yeah, I, I'll work with you no matter what. And so then after we had that, that interview, I went and bought the book and read it. And I really enjoyed it. But, you know, Damon, Damon read Watchmen like it, you, when it came out. Like he would read – his dad bought him those comic books and they would read wow. them together. And so like he was – I think he was like 11 or 12. So it was like hugely important for him. And it yeah. was like a hugely influential experience. It was like big deal with his relationship with his dad. Like there was just so much of his sort of childhood wrapped up in it. So – you know, I think that he felt a ton of pressure, not only to like satisfy the fans, but also just as somebody who loved the material to not yeah. fuck it up. You yeah. Know? The wild thing about so, for instance, from what I hear, people didn't like the movie because they and you can speak to this that it didn't go along with the source material. Is that what it was? It was very hard to capture the source material okay. and like how long the movie was allowed to be, which is why Zack Snyder's ultimate cut, release the Snyder cut, uh, <laughs> is uh, so, it's so much better because like there, the novel, the graphic novel is so involved. It's like telling like seven or eight stories at the same right. time. Right. That's very hard to capture yeah. in. In one movie. Yeah, in one movie. Yeah. yeah. 
And they, but they, and they also changed the squid doesn't happen, right? The squid doesn't happen. It's like a nuclear explosion instead. Got really. it. Yeah. Got it. So the interesting thing about the TV show was that a lot of people who were vocal and not liking it, it wasn't because of the source material and saying it didn't follow it. It was because of the racial aspect <laughs> yes, uh, of the show now, exactly. which is yeah. crazy. So it's, it, it's, um, it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, they was like, oh, they got it right, except them niggas was in the show. And, <laughs> uh, and, and it's, so, it's so wild to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, like, as somebody who was a part of the show and somebody who's also black, uh, like, how how... How do you not just tear your fucking hair out at the response? Yeah, man. When you was like, we created something that's so you. This is what you guys asked for. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, my the the thing that like the thing that made me uh, I wouldn't say angry because you know you you expect criticism anytime yeah. you make something, but but I think the thing that the thing that really stood out to me was when people said that. We politicized Watchmen. Like, mm. why did you have to put so many, po- so much <laughs> politics into Watchmen? Yeah. And I was like, if you, if you are truly a fan of yes. the graphic novel yes. and you think that there weren't politics inherent right. in Watchmen from the get go, like that's a, that's a thing about police authority and vigilantism mm-hmm. and um, global, like geopolitical, uh, like nuclear holocaust. <laughs> like, there's so much. There's so many. Um, political themes wrapped up in the original material that what you're saying instead is like, you don't like the politics that we put in the show. It's like that. It's it's like you, you have a, you have a distaste for the politics that we are addressing and you prefer the politics of the graphic novel. We didn't politicize it. We were just talking, we were just taking on sort of a different, a different strain of politics. And I Mm -hmm. think that if you, if you are angry at those politics that we are addressing, that's sort of like something that you should, you should look at internally as to why why the politics of the show upset you more than the politics of the novel. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because one thing that I loved about, especially that first episode, was it actually forced a lot of people to go and actually look at uh, basically the first yeah. episode was about yeah. and read up. I people didn't learn that shit fake. in school. I yeah. did not know that thing either. Yeah. Uh, and I, I – like heard of it, yes. but I had never actually, uh, like actually sat down and re- read about the what was it, what's the name the for Tulsa the Tulsa massacre? Yeah. yeah, and so I thought that was special. I was like, oh shit! And it was so visceral. It was I mean. so visceral. It was so real. Yeah, people thought we made it up. Yeah, people were like, there was there's no way that there were pl- planes firebombing the neighborhood, and it's like, yes, there <laughs> go, damn work. Yeah, yeah, there were planes firebombing the neighborhood. That That's happened. So that happened. The somebody sent me like the the day after somebody sent me a like a Google chart showing like a spike in like searches for Tulsa massacre just because so many people had no idea and were and were researching it. We just, I just saw, a, like a like a few weeks ago that. Oklahoma has decided to start mandating yes. the Tulsa massacre, uh, l- l- that mandating the children learn the Tulsa massacre in, in Oklahoma public schools. That's Perfect. amazing. Which is That's like, amazing. yeah, I mean, it's incredible. It feels like, you know, I think that it should have happened a long time ago and it's, and it sucks that a TV show had to convince you people to do this, but you know, it, it, it made all of us feel really proud and, 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 and it felt like that was a special, a special moment for us. Yeah. It made me re-examine the books as well, where I kind of, 
I was a Rorschach stan. I'll be honest. Yeah. And when he, when I was just like, oh, wait, the Calvary was inspired by Rorschach. I kind of had like this reaction of just like, Rorschach, come on, he's a great guy. <laughs> and then I was also just like, the first time I read the book, I was like 17, yeah. right? And then I read it again when I was like 21 when the movie came out. But then I went back and I looked at it and I started like doing a deep dive of it. And I was like, oh no, this guy's fucking great. Like, yeah. But there's this thing of like, because you're, it's being presented through his perspective. Yeah. You side with him and you kind of ride with him, but then you kind of look back at his actions and you go, Oh, this guy would fuck me up. Like yeah. he would hurt me if he saw me on the street. Cause I was a black man. He'd assume I was doing crime. Like yeah. Rorschach was a vigilante that took things too far, which yeah. kind of makes him a, a bad little person. bit of a bad person. Oh yeah. I know absolutely. we like Batman, but vigilanteism, yeah. I don't even think that's a word. It's yeah. bad. So it's it it bad. I mean, it's bad. It's one I mean, person's idea of justice. Yes. Yeah. Rorschach's going into bars and like snapping people's fingers <laughs> and like demanding answers. And yeah. like he's snapping like if you read the book, you realize that like all the people that he's abusing and, and, and like beating up have nothing to do with the actual no. crime. Like he's no. a he's a he's a shitty he's a shitty cop. Yeah. Uh the, the uh I, I I can't I can't remember the exact quote, but Alan Moore has said like if you if you read Watchmen and think that and think that Rorschach is a hero, like you're misreading the material. Like he's yeah. a, he's a bad guy. Yeah, he, Alan Moore himself has said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, so there won't be a season two of this, and so now we're left to speculate. Yes. Right. Uh, as somebody who was in that room, I don't want you to answer it from that perspective. I want you to answer it from like a fan of the show. Yeah. What do you think happens to Angela? As a fan of the show, I hope that Angela gets the powers of Dr. Manhattan. I yeah. Wish. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that like that is, you know, I think the, the, the the sort of idea of a black woman as a god is really exciting. That's so amazing. That's, That's what I was yeah. so excited yeah. for. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely. Although the 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 parody version of that is she puts that foot over the water <laughs> and Just steps in and then and gets mad. She smashes an egg on her face. <laughs> like, god damn. <laughs> I just did my hair, you motherfucker! <laughs> That's pretty good. I would love that parody version. Season two, episode one, is just her falling into the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could do this. <laughs> that's you know that's Damon's Damon's bread and butter yes. is is unanswered questions. Yeah, like he, he's done that in every every um, piece of television that he's created. It's yeah, just, and I think that that's what you know that's what is that's what a is like a little bit frustrating sometimes, but that's also you know the mystery is sort of what makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had an episode too, right? Yeah. All right. Can we talk about your episode? Yeah. I wrote, yeah, episode, I wrote episode six, This Extraordinary Being. Great. Now, I'm not trying to gas you up at all, but I smell I smell an Emmy nod off of oh, this episode. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. I mean, it was the episode that I feel like kind of, when there was a lot of detractors for the show, and then like I feel like even that episode, like people were just like, yo, even I'm a hater, but I can't deny. Hood <laughs> <laughs> of Justice being black is fucking dope. Like, <laughs> episode six is the one where she's in his memory. Yes. Right? It's the nostalgia one. It's the yes. black What a fucking good episode. That's what I'm saying, right. man. Just, like, yeah, what? What a fucking good episode. Uh, and, and it did something that it was very rare, I think, in TV where we we know all this stuff already. But that's where I feel like the season like really kicked into high gear. It was yeah. like, all right. Here's Watchmen. Yeah. Like here, yeah. here comes yeah. Doctor Manhattan. Here yes. comes like yes. here comes everything that you guys have been waiting for, mm-hmm. and we're about to do it so perfectly. And it started with that episode. And 
Man, Hudichai, I felt I feel for I feel for my brother, man. I feel for Hudichai. <laughs> I, I feel yeah, for man. it, man. Yeah, it was it was one of those because I you know I don't watch shows live. I watch them when they release on HBO Go or whatever. Uh, but the people who did watch it live, I would look on Twitter and they would say, "Whoo shit, Watchmen! Why y'all had to do that to me?" So <laughs> yeah. I was very excited to watch yeah, it. Th- yeah, th- it was. Uh, to your point. Uh, about it sort of feeling like everything started to gel after that episode. I remember it was when when we were writing the script, I sent my draft into Damon and, and then he sort of did his pass on it. And when we were finally done with it, he he we were talking about it and he was like he was like, if this episode doesn't work, the whole season is fucked. Wow. <laughs> he was wow. He was like, pressure. So, yeah, yeah, know, and then he was like, all right, let me go jump I, off this bridge. Yeah, let me go. <laughs> Shit. It was, it was terrifying. And he was, it, he was like, this, it all sort of relies on this episode. If yeah. this episode works, then I think the season works. And if it doesn't work, then the season is sort of chaos and falls apart. So, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> what was it, it like worked. breaking that story? Like, uh, wh- where did the pitch of having Hooded Justice be a black? Because we've never known the identity of Hooded yeah. Justice before. It's left yeah. pretty, uh, open in the book. Damon came into the season saying that was like, Damon had like a few ideas that he was like, this is what the show is going to be based around. One, mm. which was he wanted to follow a black woman in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He wanted the Tulsa massacre to be a been inciting incident for the season. Um, and he was like, I want hood of justice to be a black man. Mm. And so we, we sort of started from that central premise and then worked backward from there. And, you know, when I, when I read the book with that idea in mind, the thing that I thought was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, of course the first superhero is black, right? Like, who who in America would feel so um, so forgotten by the justice system that yeah. they feel like they need to go put on a hood and a cape and, like, find justice for themselves on the yeah. streets? Like, who needs like, protection exactly. more? Exactly. Like, it's not... It's not Bruce Wayne, like it's not a billionaire white dude in New York City who who like who who isn't getting justice within sort of like the traditional means of finding justice. It's like mm-hmm. a black dude in nineteen in nineteen thirties, right? Yeah. Like it's like that that makes total sense to me mm-hmm. when you think about when you think about that as an origin story for superheroes. Um, that like yeah, it's like a dude who gets fucked over time and again by the actual justice system, and so he yeah. feels like he needs to like take justice into his own hands. Yeah. Um, and that was you know. And then we sort of started building from there, and it was it, it all started coming together in a way that felt really organic and natural. And like, of course, this is this is what the season should be about. <clears throat> I mean, a lot a lot of that too was, I mean, obviously you spoke to that experience, but that episode and and the storyline from there also spoke to a lot of other experiences. Uh, he was a gay or a bisexual man, yeah. and 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 also. And we talked about inherited trauma and things like that, how that affects your family, like how your own trauma and the things you're trying to yeah. do kind of overtakes you and then yeah. affects everybody around you, right? Yeah. But he clearly uh, couldn't let go of watching his entire family get he, murdered. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah, exactly. which is understandable, right? Yeah. But the domino effects of his choices mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in that in that episode uh, it really made us understand the rest of the show, really, especially as somebody who didn't read the novel or watch yeah. the movie. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I get it. I yeah. get it now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just so many great themes in that episode that I feel 
in lesser hands could have unraveled in a bad absolutely. way. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. because it, because it, it all. I mean, listen, that's a, it's a it's a lot of storylines to try to fit into sixty minutes of television. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like it still worked very well. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. took. I mean, it was when we were writing it. It was like this is a lot of big swings. Like, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of huge swings. Some of which you know, some of which we were taking from the source material, but a lot of which we were just inventing on our own, and you know. Having it in black and white and having sort of the ghosts of the past actually following him yeah. and sort of including all of those things, all these all those elements, sort of it was, you know, it seemed crazy when when it was on like it was like the so much credit to Regina and Jovan and Stephen Williams who directed the episode. Like it's just like it came together with with sort of a huge um, you know, TV's a TV's a team sport. And so yeah. there was a lot of people who like worked on that. The whole season, but on that episode in particular, because that's what we're talking about to make it to make it what it was. And uh, but on paper, it was like this shit is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like this is this seems crazy. It might not work. Yeah, and uh, just like we had to give it to Stephen and, and everybody and hope that it did work. Well, there's something I want to ask you about the teamwork part of it. Yeah, and I want to do that after the break. Okay. And we're back with, I know, it freaks everyone out every time we do it. Everyone's just like, are we going we're somewhere? Or are we, we're back. Yeah, you we're you back. pulled out your phone. Like, yeah. all right, all right, let me text like, messages like, real quick. Yeah. yeah, I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, feel free to grab some water Oh, yeah, so absolutely. You we did not did offer that. you any water You could have did that in the break. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, please, take some water. There you Thank go. you. So, you know, as a writer myself, I've definitely, you know, heard – Every showrunner I've worked for go, like, you know, it's always about the writers. Like, at the end of the day, like, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere with my writers. And there are a lot of showrunners who say that, but that's not actually how they practice. They're a little bit selfish and they're a little bit, um, yeah. you know, they kind of like to be a ball hog if we're going to, like, use, like, the sports metaphor. But with this show being so centered in blackness and Damon Lindelof, obviously not a black man. Yeah. How much truth was that to, like, how much he leaned on you guys? Um, it was a lot. It was a lot. Mm. Damon, uh, he told us that it was the most diverse writer's room he's ever had. Mm. Yeah, he hired, um, I think we were about half, half of the room was black. Wow. Um, a large portion of, of black women. Um, he was, you know, he, he put his money where his mouth was with that. And, mm. he, and he, he made it an incredibly diverse room. Um, and I think that he, you know, he he would rely like in that episode in particular, Damon was um, very wary about them uh, saying nigger, the cops saying nigger to yeah. to, uh, to um, Will's character. Yeah, I'm sorry to Joven's character, Will, and. He was sort of really nervous about it and saying, like, you know, I, I don't know if I can use that word, if my like my name's going to be on it. It makes me very uncomfortable to to say that. And we were like, yo, this is, you know, this we're showing a lynching. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah. it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like, we're calling him yeah. sweetheart. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, hey, like, you <laughs> African American. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you Nubian kid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and so uh, like there were moments like that when he just sort of deferred to the black writers in the room and so mm. when we told him like this is what feels authentic and this is what we need to do and he would sort of you know there was some there was a, you know I wouldn't call them arguments but there was a lot of discussions in the room uh, about those kinds of things and I think that overall he tended to defer to 
those of us who are black and, and our opinions when, when it came down to it. I mean, I know that that seems like the obvious thing to do. Yeah. And like people listening to that, like, of course it's what he did. But I feel like people don't understand who haven't been in rooms, yeah. how beautiful and rare that is. Absolutely. To have a white male showrunner go, look, this is not my lane. Y'all tell me what to do. Like, that exactly. is so rare. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. And I think that that's why, you know, I feel like I was particularly proud of how many black people were into the show. Yeah. I think that I think that HBO is not known for its like television shows highlighting blackness and like d- drawing black audiences and I think that that's one thing that I I felt particularly proud of was yeah. how it sort of seemed to resonate in the black community. Absolutely. And I don't say that to praise Damon. I say that to praise you guys. Like, you know, nice. I think the only people I know is like you and Stacy like yeah. I, uh where like you guys being that voice in the room is so important to the show, which is why, you know, there's a couple of white you know, leftist kind of people on Twitter who are like, this show is like racist to black people and all that stuff. And I was like, we, with you saying that, you're insulting the black people in the room who like yeah. stood up and were just like, this is how it is. Like you saying that is such a weak, lazy take of just being like, this show is like apologizing for cops, which I did not read that at all. I think no. that, that was just like an easy quote unquote woke take for people to take. Yeah. And I, like, I really want to applaud you guys as the black writers in the room of being like, no, this is how it actually is. And really standing up for that. Cause Thank it's really you. a hard thing to do. Oh, hell yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. And, and that is, you know, and, and, to your point, I mean, a lot of showrunners would not have given us that leeway and given us that um, that power in the room. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of, sh- you know, um, a testament to sort of Damon's understanding of, of you know, he w- Damon's very open about like saying, like, I don't know. I don't know this. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like another thing that, you know, another thing that he was inc- incredibly uncomfortable with was the sexual relationship. Once we decided to make um, once we decided to make. Hooded Justice, a black man, you know, the source material says that Hooded Justice had a sexual relationship with um, with uh, Captain Metropolis. Like yes. that is that's that's from the that's from the book. And so once we decided to make Hooded Justice black, Damon was uncomfortable. He was like, well, now we have to make a, a sexual relationship with a guy who's racist. And I don't mm-hmm. uh, like he's like, and he felt uncomfortable. That's sort of like the racial politics of a mm-hmm. racist sleeping with a black man. And we had a. It was just like this shit. Yeah. Happened. That's yeah, how it exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. They were like that, that happens, man. Like, yeah. like, like, you know, fucking there were slave owners who slept with their slaves. Like, yeah. like, Thomas like that Jefferson was a, yeah, that was like, a child. Yeah, there, slave. Exactly. Like there was, there were slave owners who were raping their slaves all the time. It's like racists sleep with black people. Like yeah. that happens. And, yeah. and he, he was, you know, he was like, again, like I, he was like, I'm not, this makes me a little uncomfortable, like these discussions. And it was like, again, he leaned on the black people in the room and there was, um, there's a we had there was a a gay man in the room named Brandon Jacob Jenkins who's a, who's an incredible playwright um, who who sort of fought for fought for the, that scene and that, those moments in in that episode uh, uh, in a way that I think again Damon sort of took a step back and was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you guys on this and mm. um, it's yeah it's a, it's a testament to him because there's a lot of as you said there's a lot of showrunners who who just don't take that tack. Yeah. Just sort of like this is my show and like every, what I say goes. Yeah. So I'm yeah. uncomfortable with this. I'm not going to listen to you guys. Uh, well, dude, I'm such a delight to watch that show. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, man. Yeah, it was so so fun, so great. Uh, I I am a fan of saying, look, we've told our story. We don't need to tell it anymore. Uh, you've kind of had that happen to you 
twice in one year. Yeah. Because that also happened with you with the good place. Good place. Yes. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's uh, true. I don't know what I don't know what you're doing to these rooms, Court. We <laughs> 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 come in, it's like, you know what? Shut this shit down. We gonna shut this down. We can tell our story. Uh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But uh but yeah, also I mean, that's another story that I'm I'm a fan of the good place as well. And it's one of my one of my favorite shows, uh sitcoms wise. Thank you. And yeah, dude, it was another story that said, look, we've wrapped it up. We don't. Yeah, NBC, you can keep this story going and keep the money coming in. But we want to tell our story and end it the way we want to, Yeah, uh, which I thought was pretty dope. How was that experience for you? Incredible. Um, that was Mike Schur is uh, an incredible man. Mm. He's uh, every good thing that you hear about him is true. Um, he's just a wonderful boss. Everybody that I worked with in that room is was a great human being. Um, and yeah, it was you know that show. If if you're a fan of it, you know it. Like it's cra- it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's very crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. it's a crazy so, concept. Yeah, and so you know making that making seasons of that show was hard because it's just so complex and mm-hmm. like there was, there was so much world building and like. You know, it's literally, you know, religions have been doing this shit for thousands of years. And we're trying to, like, come up with an entire system of the afterlife, like, you know, in the however many weeks we got to write a season. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming up with essentially entire rules for, like, and systems for, like, for the afterlife. (laughs) Yeah. And that shit is, like, time-consuming and incredibly complex. Um, It's very fun, of course. I'm not complaining, but it's, you know, it's just hard to write. And I think that... um, we could have, to your point, try. We could have, you know, there was enough brain power in that room that we could have made it go for seven, eight seasons. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why? You know, we 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 sort of told told the story that we wanted to tell, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Mike said what he wanted to say with that show, and it was like just seeing it when he told us all that. He, I, when I started working there in season two, and he, I remember him saying. Um, he was like, I think this is a four season show. Even back then, he was Perfect. he knew he was like, I, he was like, I just want to do four seasons of this and be done. And so I I didn't know if he was actually going to hold stick to that. But but when we got there, he was like, Yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, not because I don't think he enjoyed it, but it, but just because he was like, This is this is good. Like this is good enough. We we said what we wanted to say. And to me, that that last season was you know that last episode. I knew what was going to happen in that last episode. and I still cried so much it's so sad yeah it's a, it's like, it was a it was a emotional episode yeah, yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's heavy i mean the thing that the sleight of hand that that show did was that that was a show about dead people mm-hmm. for the entire time but you always forgot that they were dead yeah it's true. so it's so, so in that and so in that true. last episode when you just everybody's just going away it was yeah. like all of the you know when dead people are dying <laughs> I know, yeah. exactly, like, exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. and it's not like you know it wasn't like on a bunch of shows where it's like one of your favorite characters dies it's like all of your favorite characters are dying yeah like going away that's so in interesting swoop. yeah because yeah, the entire i mean outside of half of season uh three they were dead yeah. the entire yeah. exactly. time of exactly. that show right exactly uh all right so if i was ever in that writer's room and they was like all right what's the rules of the good place one rule that i would put is once you get to the good place you have the skills of your favorite basketball player Ooh, okay. uh right or you can cook amazing food. Yeah. Even if you could never cook. Yeah. What's some what's some stuff that you would have fought for wow. to be in a good place? Wow. <laughs> That's a great question. That is a great question. Yeah, I probably would want to your bas- to your thing about basketball player. Like the the one thing that I think that like breaks my heart is that I I will never score. 
uh, a World Cup goal. Okay. Oh wow, you're okay. a big soccer guy. I, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge. I'm a huge. Not even. Yeah. I mean, soccer was really, really the, the my main sport when I was a kid, and I played it for a long time. But I was never like, you know, I was never going to go pro or anything. Mm. And that like that breaks my heart. Like I would, I would love to score. Just one World Cup goal. That's that would one be dope. World Cup goal. That's that would dope. be incredible. Yeah. That's dope. I feel like that's probably the best feeling. Yeah. What about you, Edgar? What's something that you would want? In the, in the good I'd place? want the ability to take a blimpy sandwich into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Matt? <laughs> Is this, uh, can, you, can you tell him how that, that feels? Yeah, how does that feel like, Matt? I want to know what that feels I like. I couldn't speak to it, and I've never done that before. <laughs> oh, really? And my, my wish would be to gain the respect of my peers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, we eat it, do you eat the blimpy sandwich on the toilet? <laughs> so that's, that what, that's, what, that's what they're inferring. <laughs> this is my issue. I don't ne- one never even had this type of sandwich. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my biggest complaint. Mm-hmm. Two would never eat on the toilet. Mm-hmm. Matt, why don't you tell them who you were rooting for in a Watchman? <laughs> Big okay, Shark so head over here. Court doesn't know me, so that's not fair. <laughs> Big Seventh Cavalry. No, no, no. It's Don Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you guys have to get rid of Don Johnson? So early? He's like, he was such. He was so compelling. Everyone has a clan costume. In their Everyone does. He was very entertaining. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. It was. It was so. It was so cool to 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 watch that show i I came into it in season two um and the twist i mean you say you also came in at that point too but how was that so let me ask you this because season one i thought had such a fun twist at the end of that right where you figure out they were all in a bad place because and and i sometimes pride myself on oh i could see things coming and I truly didn't see that coming. I don't and I know think I know did. what you're about to ask. Because I want to say, after I saw that twist, I was just like, well, how does the show continue? Exactly. <laughs> like, how do you go from there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is the thing you were t- you guys were tasked with in season two. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and, and basically, you guys just kind of, he was like, all right, well, the rules are, you, the, the sheet's pulled. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Right? But we still want to surprise you in a way yeah. uh, that season two did specifically. I feel like once I got to season three and four, it wasn't so much about the surprises of yeah. like what you're watching. Um, yeah. yeah. So how, how, how does it know coming into a show that had a big twist? Yeah. In my, in my so I didn't, I, when I started season two, the, when we started writing season two, they, the finale of season one hadn't premiered yet. So oh, I, wow. So on my first day, I had to leave the writer's room and they sent me into like my office and I watched the finale. Oh, okay. And I think that it, I was, I was blown away and it's such an incredible twist. And then when we started writing season two, I actually, you know, people have said to me, like, they were like, you know, I liked season one, but I think season two and then beyond was just much better. And I think that people say that, I think that they don't necessarily know what they're talking about when they say that they just, it just feels better to them. But I think that why, it feels better to a lot of people is because you're finally able to see things from Michael's perspective. Mm. It opens the show up in, the, in a very real way That's because you're really never sort of you're point. never allowed to. You know, if you watch season one again, you never see what Michael is actually doing behind the scenes. He's such a oh, mysterious you, yeah, figure. Yeah, you always right. see him just sort of like interacting with our with the with the main four, mm. and so when you're able to see behind the scenes and like Michael struggling to make this experiment work and Michael interacting with the other demons, it's like it, it, the world just becomes 
that much larger. Overnight. That's true. Yeah. So I think that. So I think that um, that was that was an exciting. That was sort of exciting to write write toward. I think that it's sort of to create this entire new world that hadn't been explored in season one at all. Yeah, that's that's dope. <clears throat> that is dope because he's that's a really main really character dope. in season one. Yeah. yeah, but it's almost like you don't. He's a main character that you don't get to know no. until the end of season exactly. one, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, and then by the time you get to season two, it's just like, oh, we have a new him. person to explore yeah. exactly. in this world. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. What he cares about and what he wants. So dope. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that show is very rewarding to work on. But yeah. you also literally got rewarded for writing on that show. You yeah. won an NAACP Image yeah, Award. I did. I did a couple weeks ago. Our yeah, first ever NAACP <clears throat> Image Award winner oh, on the show. That's true. Oh, Oh, That's true. And nominee. <laughs> and nominee. Well, maybe. Maybe. <coughs> maybe. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, There's a lot of those it. awards. I went to the awards ceremony. There was like, not no joke, there was like 35 to 40 awards. Yeah. Okay. Every guest we've had. Has, <laughs> every guest we've had has an image. Yeah, so Even they, the white guests. They have image awards, yeah, too. That's right. <laughs> I, went to the, I, was, I was at the uh, the very uncool, I was at the uh, non-televised, they were, like, they, they were like given the writer awards and like literature awards. It was like, the next night was like, Rihanna and Beyonce. Okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, not giving the writer awards there. Yeah. <laughs> were you able to go to that one, though? Yeah, they gave me a ticket, right. yeah. All right. All right. So you're yeah. in a room with Rihanna like, and Beyonce. They were like, you stay far away from the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I, I, got, like, I, I won, won one of these. Yeah. I won, I won one of these. <laughs> like, yeah, but you sit back here, bro. Yeah, you see that seat all the way up in the balcony? Yeah. That's you. That's, That's you. you right there. <laughs> we got some Cheetos here. If you <laughs> some Cheetos. Not Flaming Hots either. Just yeah, regular cheese Cheetos. <laughs> what was that experience like, though, winning that award? I feel like that's a show that I want black people who are into entertainment to care about more. Totally. I th- like I, I, I love that show, and I love, you know, I love Chidi in particular mm. on that show because I feel like, you know, it's so rare that you see black men portrayed in that way. Yeah. yeah. Chidi, they, like, Chidi talks about anxiety and yeah. being afraid, and I feel like, you know— and well, philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You <laughs> yeah. don't normally see like black male characters uh, who who are portrayed that way. You mm-hmm. know, I think that, you know, even the vocabulary, like, you know, I, I for so long would, would, you know, feel comfortable saying like, I just, I'm stressed out. Like you say like stress, but mm-hmm. like you don't learn to say like, no, I feel anxiety or like I feel nervous or mm-hmm. I feel afraid, you know, yeah. and, and those are sort of what, what I yeah. meant when I actually said I feel stressed out. Yeah. It was um, more like just saying like the devil's got me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, you're depressed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so seeing Chidi portrayed that way was like one of, one of my favorite aspects of the show. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had no, I, I didn't think we were going to win because I was like, I don't, I don't know that the black community is like really particularly interested in the good place. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like we yeah. like, you know, and I think that that's fine. I think that, I think that for me, those awards are, exist because so many great shows and books and, and movies made by black people aren't, aren't not recognized through the sort of traditional means of recognition. Yeah. And so it's important that for that award show to recognize, uh, sort of shows that don't really get a recognition on, on the Emmys and shit. Yeah. And so I was really taken aback a, that we were nominated, but B I was really taken. I, I was truly stunned when I won. I could yeah. not believe it. Did you that. have a speech prepared? No, hell, I was like, <laughs> dude, I was like, it was like, it was like 9 PM. The, the award show started like, you know, like three hours earlier, I think, or something crazy. And I was like, 
I was getting a little drunk. <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, I don't know, man. This is taking forever, and I think I think we're definitely going to lose because it was like, you know, Mixed Dish was nominated. And yeah. Like Kenya Barris is a juggernaut, so I was like, they'll, they'll probably win. Barry was nominated. Barry wins every Emmy Award for comedies these days. So I was just like, no, we don't really have a – we don't have a shot at winning. I was like, it's it's great to be nominated, but we're we're definitely gonna lose. And then when they said my name, I was re- truly taken aback. I was I like blacked out for forty five seconds. <laughs> wow. I saw that I saw that countdown clock of forty five seconds. And I was like, I gotta I gotta cover this air. I guess I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I started freaking out. I truly don't remember what I said. Thank God it wasn't televised because I would have. <laughs> he said some wild yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is for all the motherfuckers that didn't believe in me. <laughs> Yeah, where Beyonce at? Where Beyonce? <laughs> Riri, bad girl gone good. <laughs> I can't imagine how nerve wracking that is to yeah. get up on stage and have to give a speech in front of not prepared whatsoever. Oh, not no. prepared, not yeah. at all, at all. I was like, I was semi prepared because uh, I was also nominated for Watchmen for for that episode for this oh, extraordinary yeah. being for drama, and so I was like, okay, we might. We might have a shot there. And Damon was with me, and Damon was like, if we win, like, I'm not saying shit. He was like, he was like, I was like I'm not going to get up there and talk at the NAACP Awards. He was like, so it's up to you, man. So I was, so I was, like, so I was like, all right. So you had that speech prepared. Yeah, yeah, you went exactly. up in a good place and exactly. told your watchman speech. Exactly. So let Thank me tell you about Hood just Regina. Oh, shit, shit, shit. And I'm like, yo, what the hell is this dude talking about? <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. Yeah, especially because you— People probably like gave really passionate, oh, beautiful yeah. black oh. speeches. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was, it was beautiful. Like, I, like I it truly, you know, it was truly an honor to be there. Just because you do so, it, it's a reminder of how many incredibly talented black people there mm. are working in this industry who do mm. not get the recognition that they deserve. Mm. You know, yeah. like we're making really great shows and movies and books and music and like working their asses off and they're sort of undersung. And it was like, it was a good reminder of how, of how big and talented our community is. Can I ask you, uh, so we, we've talked about this on the show before. I feel like it's good to bring it up again um, as a black writer and as people who grew up not knowing that black people could be writers yeah. and and only seeing people in front of the screen or stand up and basketball and blah 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 yeah. right uh to to that young black writer uh what would you say your journey was to get to the place where you where you are and say like this is what I want to do and I can do this and and yeah. the success that you've had yeah um and will continue to have what what do you say to that aspiring black writer or to that black person who say I want to do something but like I can do more than just act for yeah. instance right Yeah I would say you know I would say that one of the one of the hurdles that I think a lot of black writers have and other minority writers and women is I would say just a be confident that your stories are worth telling. I think mm. that there there is that is like a hurdle for people. It's like, well, well, people aren't interested in my life and like my life's not interesting. And it's like, you know how many fucking king of queens ass like sitcoms yeah. there are about just like kind of overweight white dudes whose wives are prettier than them and who like are just schlubby and like, you know, and they like 
leave their dirty underwear around the house and like, I want to eat pizza with the guys and watch football. It's like how many how many sitcoms have we seen like that over over five decades of television? So yeah. and yeah, exactly. And like the people who write those shows aren't going like this is hacky and like this has been done before. It's like they go in there confident that they that they want to tell those stories and that's fine. Good for them. <clears throat> and I just feel like black people should have that confidence that like mm. your stories are worth telling and that even this is uh I was I was like obsessed with that Bong Joon Ho uh when he was winning all those awards I thought he was like so great and and when he when he said that Scorsese quote I can't remember exactly what I was but I went and looked it up and I found another Scorsese quote that is um the personal is universal and so like mm-hmm. like like if you can make a story that's incredibly personal to you people are going to be able to respond to to the things in that story it's going to resonate with them because people are human beings and we just all have the same experiences you know we feel the mm. same things and so if you tell a story that's incredibly personal to you it's going to be universal if you tell it uh right and so i think that you know i i was when i hear when i talk to sort of younger writers particularly writers of color and women i find that some of them are just unsure about you know that that their stories are worth telling and it's like no that you got to go in there confident that that what you have to say is is important and worth hearing and 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 it is i think that um so so yeah i think that if you if you first get over that hurdle and then it's just you know read a lot write a lot move to la you know that's that's something that we tell uh, a lot of people hit us up on the gram and i'm all just like hey man you can't be messaging me from Wisconsin. Yeah. You got to move to LA, bro. <laughs> exactly. I can't help you out in Wisconsin. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like people don't want to do that, and it's like move, just move to LA. It's yeah, you know, it's beautiful too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's good weather. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, like it's, it's warm in the February. Yeah. Listen, man, it's sixty <laughs> degrees outside. And I'm like, who is cold? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's cold exactly. outside. So <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Awkward, yeah. man. Thank you so much. I mean, thank you, for, guys. thank you for being on. I mean, yeah, as dude. someone who looks up to you, I remember when I saw. I read your interview in Vulture, I think, uh, after your episode, oh, and right. I was like, man, I got to get this dude on the pod. And so, first of all, thank you for responding to a DM from someone oh, you're just no, like, man. who the hell is Awful Graham? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and thank you for coming on, man. Thank I you mean, so much for having me. Yeah, man. no, this is very, yeah. very dope talk. This I was great, man. I, I I got introduced to you after Edgar told me, like, oh, we're going to get this guy on. I was like, all right, sweet. Let me, let me like, look him up, see, so I'm not, so I don't come into this blind yeah. <laughs> uh, and man I was just so thrilled and I think we first had you literally the day after the Good Place finale yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh I was ready <laughs> I was ready you were, you I, was, was I was ready I was ready like let me ask you something core uh, but uh, but yeah dude this is is I, I always love these episodes when we have them because you know we can get silly in here but uh, yeah. when we actually get a chance to not only talk to somebody who's working, but somebody who has the keys uh, and, can, and can show you how to get the keys, but somebody who actually has been recognized for how dope their shit is. And has such a dope perspective as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's really cool, man. People, people, I can tell you now, people are going to love this and listening to this, too. So, you so be ready. Much, be ready to be tweeted. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Dope. Not only was that such a dope dude to talk to, but when I also say he was the best dressed person that ever has graced culture, bro. When he walked in, I was just like, "Damn, bro!" I mean, and and let me tell you, and let me tell you about best dressed. It's not even just like the clothes were best dressed, but 
when when clothes fit a nigga just right. Yeah. <laughs> like everything Did just Did you fit. smell his the room still smells still, like his cologne. Yes, it does. And he had on like the, no the slip ons with no socks and just wow. I'm just like What a good looking dude. Woo! Good, good looking dude. I was attracted to the man. I'll good, admit it. Hey, listen, man. Corey Jefferson, I don't know if he married, but if he not, somebody jump on that. Uh, or else we will. Or else we will. I'll or leave on it right now. I mean, I got a ring. I'll just take it off of Jess's finger. <laughs> <laughs> I like that in your head. It's still your ring. I, <laughs> I got a ring. It's like, I no, got a ring. You gave it to I paid, the keys. But who paid for it? <laughs> who paid for it? All right, Queen of the Week. <laughs> Queen of the Week. My Queen of the Week is the co-chairman of the Bernie Sanders campaign, Nina Turner. Wonderful black woman uh, who, you know, was... On CNN, what the mm, fuck was that? Sorry, that's my phone. That's my phone. I apologize. What the fuck was that? It was. It was. It was. It was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. Mina Turner was on CNN, mm-hmm. and maybe it was MSNBC. I don't know the difference between those sh- channels. And Hillary Rosen was explaining to her some shit that MLK said, and. Nina Turner was not about that shit mm. and said, listen, lady, you're not about to come up on national television as a white woman and explain to me, a black woman, what MLK said. She was talking about oh, the whole I heard thing about this. Yeah. of like how MLK was just like the people that we should fear the most are moderate liberals. And uh, I just think it's dope. One, to just be a black woman who is the co-chair of, you know, Former front runner, still, you know, still in the race for sure. Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, and such a progressive, dope uh, politician. And, you know, a lot of people are just like, does he have the support of minorities, specifically women women of color? And it's like, yeah, there's a black woman who's the co-chairman of his campaign. So I definitely want to shout out Nina Turner and all the hard work that she's been doing and running a very, very good campaign. Dope. I love it. My queen of the week is a celebrity. Uh, But this past week, at least four or five times in different conversations, uh, her name has been bought up as just being such a delight, so fun to work with. And literally, I haven't heard many anybody say a bad thing about this person. Uh, So I want to give my queen of the week to Nicole Byer. Uh, Nicole Byer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She's never been a queen. She's never been a queen on the show, I don't think. No. So now she is. Uh, but yeah, she's she's very funny. Uh, I mean, that goes without saying. One day we'll have her on the show. Uh, but until then, I'm not going to lie. I sat down and just started to watch an episode of Nailed It because my niece was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen at least about 30 of the episodes. It's a very delightful show. And it's because of her because I don't think I will watch it. If anybody else was the host, it's the only cooking show I've ever watched in my life. Uh, and yeah, she's doing dope shit, podcasting, TV, stand up. Uh, she's repping out here for a lot of people who don't get repped for in the entertainment industry. That's right. And I think it's dope. So Nicole Byer is my queen of the week. I just want to let people know that our podcast because of the kind of guests that we have on, mm-hmm. dropped so many gems that I wish I had when I was coming up. Like what? I, like 
some of the shit that Cord was talking about, like mm-hmm. not not only like the, his little end segment, like how I said he, that little thing he said at the end, mm-hmm. but just the way he was talking about how they broke story and the way that he was writing, the way that they wrote those episodes. Mm-hmm. I wish I had that shit. Obviously, that shit was around, but it wasn't around from people that looked like me. Right. I just want to say I think it's dope. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I think it's dope. It is dope. Hey, what we do? I think it's dope. I think what we do is dope. Are you guys ready for a fun fact about young Prince Apodaca? How are you, man? Good. We were so close to ending. I thought I, I thought I was gonna get by unscathed. Come no, no, on, no. boy. No, no, no. Come on. In 1999. Mm. Year my little brother Elisa was born. Mm-hmm. December 29th. This is right before the turn of the millennium, Y2K. That's correct. Y2K. I don't know if you knew this or not, but young Prince Apodaca specifically said, I don't want Y2K to happen unless it happens to only black people. Yeah. He said that. (laughs) So I was eight years old. Yeah. So this was in 1998? 1999. Oh, 1999. Okay, so I was nine years old. I was going to say, I was ahead of Y2K then, in this case. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, look, if it had to happen to somebody. <laughs> hey, everybody. At Culture Kings Pod on everything. At Awfulgram on Instagram. At Edgar Montplazier on the Twitter. It's how you find Edgar. At Jaquise Neal on every single piece of social media. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else to say. Me either. All right. Then let's leave. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>